Revelation chapter 4. Grab your Bibles. Didn't know I'd be in Revelation for our communion uh, time, but uh, as I looked at the text, it became pretty clear that's what the Lord wanted to do. But I have limited time because we're going to share in communion, so let's jump right in. Chapter 4, verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that was chapter 1, that's Jesus, Uh, Well, he saw Jesus after he heard the trumpet. It said, uh, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. Now, very quickly, it's my opinion that after this is after the church age. We have two chapters, chapters two and three, uh, seven chosen churches and seven messages to those churches. And once again, a reminder, the messages in those seven letters are messages to the church throughout the church age. Okay. So now after this, I believe it's after the church age. And this is, I believe, representing the rapture of the church. The word is not found in the New Testament. We get it from the Greek word harpazo from 1 Thessalonians 4.17, which talks about the rapture. It means a snatching away. And John is snatched away here. Come up here. Verse 2. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. They say ancient Jasper was more like a diamond color, clear. And Carnelian is a deep, brilliant red. A rainbow resembling an emerald, that would have been a lively green color, encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, We aren't told who the elders are. One possibility, I think it's the most likely, uh, 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament uh, representing the tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of the New Testament. Jesus said in Gospel of Matthew to the apostles, one day you'll sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And of course, when you get to Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth, the capital of the new heavens and the new earth is the heavenly Jerusalem. It comes down out of heaven uh, from God. And this... um, heavenly city, literal city, has 12 gates, each gate a single pearl. And on each gate, the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, because we enter the kingdom through Israel, we have a Jewish Messiah. 12 foundations of that city, and uh, each foundation has the name of one of the 12 apostles, built on the foundation of the apostles because they preached the right Jesus, Jesus the Christ the Lamb of God. 24 elders, they were dressed in white, had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, probably because of what's about to take place at this juncture in time and history. The rapture of the church marks the beginning of that period of time known as the Great Tribulation. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God, literally sevenfold spirit of God, Isaiah 11, verse 2. I'm not going to take the time to go there. Also before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, second like an ox, third had the face of a man, 
The fourth was like a flying eagle. And commentators suggest lion, king of kings, king of the beast, ox, servant, but also strength, um, man, intelligence, but also I believe rank in the order of creation made a little lower than the angels. And then the eagle seems to represent transcendence. These are angelic beings. Each of the four living creatures had six wings was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, this is not the only time in the Bible we see someone getting a vision of the throne room of God. Exodus 24 Moses takes some of the leaders of Israel up on Mount Sinai. I have to believe it was a vision because the New Testament tells us nobody's ever seen God, all right, up to this point. But it says they saw the God of Israel, and um, under his feet, as he's on the throne, was something like a pavement made of sapphire. Same thing John sees, clear as the sky itself. Ezekiel chapter 1, you can take the time on your own sometime and read Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel sees the same uh, four living creatures, and he sees one on the throne. Paul the apostle doesn't tell us what he saw, but he said he was caught up, whether in the body or out of the body, he says, I I don't know, but he was caught up to the third heaven, no doubt saw some of these same things. Fascinating. Fascinating. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Now, I'm pretty sure that Revelation chapter 4 and the one John sees sitting on the throne is very technically the Father. This is the Father. In Daniel chapter 7, he's referred to as the Ancient of Days. Here, he said to be worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, for he created all things. It's a bit mysterious, but again, to be technical, the Father drew out the plan. And, and we serve one God. I hope we understand that. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, one God. And yet, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father lays out the plan, and here's what the New Testament tells us about The second member of the Trinity, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. It means the preeminent one, not the first one born, over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. This is Jesus, the Christ. And so the father lays out the plan and the son carries out the plan and the will of the father in creation. That's what the Bible declares. 
chapter five is much greater evidence that chapter four is describing the father, the ancient of days. Chapter five. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Stop there for just a minute. Varied opinions as to what this seven sealed scroll is. John knows something about it. I have no idea how John knows, but he knows something about what this scroll is and what's contained within it. How do I know that? Verse four, John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. I don't know how much he knew. I don't know how much he knew. But he knew something about this scroll enough that he weeps. And the Greek word describing his weeping, he weeped long, he wept hard. He wept long, he wept hard. One of the things that scholars and commentators do agree on is that the description of this seven seal scroll is similar to an ancient will. I believe that's what it is. Now, here's what we don't have to speculate about. We don't have to speculate about what's in the scroll. You know why? Because the majority of the rest of our study of the book of Revelation is the unsealing of this scroll one seal at a time. Why is it one seal at a time? Because it contains, it contains, we know this because I know what's in the rest of the book. We know that one by one, as each seal is broken and opened, God takes one more step in judging evil. And that ultimately, when all the seals have been opened, evil has been dealt with. Evil has been eradicated. It's the unfolding of the will of the Father in the plan of redemption. You say, wait a minute, redemption, that's, that's the gospel, isn't it? No, the gospel is part of redemption. The gospel is the key. The gospel is the foundation. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, not only can we be saved, but one day, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the whole creation is going to be new. You go through, by the time you get to Revelation chapter 14, read this, listen to this. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. This is how much God loves the world. This is how, God, how much God loves mankind. 
Right now, you and I are the agents. Right now, the church is the entity to take the gospel. But God loves the world so much, before the end of this great tribulation period, and before Jesus breaks through the clouds in his second coming, an angel will go around the planet and will proclaim in a loud voice and give mankind one last opportunity to be saved. That's how much God loves the world. When we get to Revelation at the end, Satan and his entourage are dealt with and cast into what's called the lake of fire. And all mankind who reject God's gracious offer of redemption are cast there with them because they chose to reject God's gracious offer. Then Revelation 21, God makes new heavens and a new earth. And the redeemed enter that new creation. And there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Not only that, Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is the plan of redemption. You know what Colossians tells us just before these verses? Here's what it says. He, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice, I highlighted and underlined has. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. I'm as good as there. I've been redeemed. You know what it means to be redeemed? Very simply, it means to buy back. I've been redeemed. It's the main theme of the entire Bible. Genesis 1 is creation. In just a short time, you get to Genesis 3, we call it the fall of man. Our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, sinned. As a result of their sin, every child conceived, conceived in sin, were born sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But right in the middle of that dark chapter on the fall of man, Genesis 3, verse 15, is the first ray of hope. It promises a seed, a person that would come from a woman. Her name is Mary. She was a virgin when she conceived the Christ, the Messiah. You find him typified in the real story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, the father, told to take his one and only son, whom he loves, up Mount Moriah, that's Mount Calvary, and offer him as a sacrifice. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system was meant to teach that none of those sacrifices were sufficient. Only the sacrifice of the coming Messiah would be sufficient. And if you were with us a few weeks ago in our study of the tabernacle of Moses, everything in the tabernacle of Moses typified the mission of this coming redeemer, this Messiah. The Psalms are filled with prophecy about him. Isaiah packed with prophecy about him. Micah the prophet, chapter 5, verse 2, told exactly where he would be born. Bethlehem Ephrathah. 
The New Testament opens, and this figure, John the Baptist, if he had come today, he'd be a biker, I'd believe, with the black leather on the Harley. And he comes out and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he introduces the Messiah to the world. Romans chapter 8 says, The whole creation, the whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for the ultimate plan of redemption to be fulfilled. With that said, my question, why is John weeping? Why did he weep hard? Why did he weep long? He knows Jesus. He was alive when Jesus rose from the dead. He saw him. He touched him. Why is he weeping? Revelation chapter 1, he sees the glorified resurrected Christ. Why is he weeping? Because for an unspecified period of time, when the mighty angel asks the question, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Somehow John knows that connected with the scroll is God fulfilling the plan of redemption, making everything right that has been wrong. And no one comes forward. And no one is found for some unspecified period of time. And so John weeps long and hard. Now, think with me for just a minute. Where is John? Oh, yes, he's been raptured, but he's not raptured bodily. The text tells us that he was raptured in his spirit. One day the church will be raptured bodily. But here he's raptured in his spirit, and he sees this vision of the throne room. But where is he actually, physically? He's in the ancient Alcatraz prison. He's on the island of Patmos. How did he get there? Remember? Domitian. Domitian first tried to kill John by having him boiled in a cauldron of oil, hot oil. God miraculously saved John from that cauldron of oil. And Domitian banished him, intending to banish him for the rest of his life to the Alcatraz of the ancient world, the island of Patmos. Every one of the New Testament writers were horribly persecuted, everyone. Matthew was beheaded, as, as was the Apostle Paul. Mark was dragged to death by a team of wild horses. Luke was hanged in an olive tree. Peter and Jude were crucified. James was battered to death with a club. Only John the Apostle died a natural death. And I'm not too sure he was excited about living longer than his peers. He could have been in heaven. A lot sooner. He suffered longer. If you know Jesus Christ, you're longing for the ultimate 
plan of redemption to be fulfilled. Anybody that knows Jesus is longing for that. I pray for it every day. Every day. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. But while I want it so badly, and I know you want it if you know Christ, I'm not sure I've ever wanted it as badly as John did, as Matthew, Mark, Luke. I don't know that kind of suffering. I don't know that kind of suffering. Those who are suffering intensely long for it more intensely. You just turn the page in Revelation chapter 6 and you read in verse 9, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long? Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. I don't think they liked that answer. Until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. John's weeping long and John's weeping hard because he... I think more intensely than me wanted someone to come and begin to open this seven seal scroll and begin to deal with evil and bring in ultimate righteousness. I think he wanted it so badly. I know he wanted it so badly. And right in mid-weep, verse 5, Revelation 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, exclamation point. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and offspring, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. I think that's what John was looking for. I think that's what John was anticipating. I don't want to go beyond the word of God, but I want to suggest that it's very possible that as John is weeping long and he's weeping hard, he's got to be wondering, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Isn't he the worthy one? He's the Messiah. I know him. I've seen him. Where's Jesus? And I'm suggesting that for whatever period he wept long and hard, he might have even entertained doubts. You say, that's going a little too far. Is it really? Hey, come on. John the Baptist, the very one that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not long after that, sat in a jail cell, had some of his disciples go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? I think John, emotionally, I think he's going, where in the world is Jesus? And he's weeping long and hard. And finally, one of the elders says, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then verse 6, oh man, I get chills. Then I saw a lamb. He says, the lion is triumphed. He turns and he sees the lamb looking as if it had been slain. The Greek word is strong. It could actually be translated butchered. Looking as if it had been butchered, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns, ultimate authority. 
Seven eyes, which are the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. To me, the implication is clear at this point when Jesus begins to unleash these scrolls and bring in the fulfillment of ultimate redemption. Every prayer that's ever been prayed in the will of God will be answered. Everyone. And they sang a new song. Man, catch the song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. You redeemed them. You bought them back from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. The Greek is uh, innumerable angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You just can't imagine this crescendo. But it gets even better. It gets even louder. Then I heard every creature, do you catch that? Every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. It is true. So be it. And the elders fell down and worshiped. There's no way with the several hundred people in this one service, we can even come close to matching the crescendo that will one day take place that I just read. But let me encourage you with everything in me, give it everything in you. Isaiah chapter 45, God, Jehovah, God, the father, if you will declares chapter 45 of Isaiah verses 22 and 23. One day every knee will bow before me. One day every tongue will confess. The New Testament specifies it a little more detailed. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Speaking of Jesus who humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I encourage you strongly? Declare him worthy willingly as one who has been redeemed and not one day who has not been redeemed and yet every creature. That's what God says, every creature. So with everything you got, because he's worthy of it. He's listening. Say it with me. Come on. Everything you got. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I can just see by faith heaven paying attention. 
One more little statement we found it in our text. Say this one loud as you can. Come on. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I want to close the time allotted to me before we share in communion by turning to the book of Romans. And I'd like to read chapter 8 of Romans, beginning in verse 35. Before I read it, I don't know what you're going through. But I declare to you, based on the word of God and what we've studied today and what we've heard from the Lord today, Jesus has triumphed. What words to read here? Verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then what he says next, I'd like for us to say, I put it up here for us. Say it with me. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not incredible? You know what he says just before that? Say it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? First Corinthians three, Paul says, all things are yours. Second Corinthians one, Paul says, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Paul, the apostles was told ahead of time how much he would suffer for the name of Jesus. You read about his sufferings. I'm not going to turn to it. Second Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 28. He just kind of summarizes. Here's all I've been through. And he suffered much more than me, <laughs> much more than I'll probably ever suffer. But as much as he suffered, here's what he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Isaiah 65, 17 prophesies the new heavens and the new earth. You know what it says? After God creates the new heavens and the new earth and the redeemed enter that new world. It says, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. That cannot mean that God wipes out our memory. If he wiped out our memory, we wouldn't know that Jesus is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah. No. It means it's going to be so good that exactly what Paul said, the glory that's going to be revealed in us, it's going to be so glorious you won't even be able to think about the sufferings that you went through back on the old planet. 
And here's my prayer in the closing moments. Prayer, my prayer honestly. We're going to be raptured physically one day. I pray that in these few moments we're raptured spiritually. That we really do, really do see Christ by faith. By faith. He really is triumphant. He really is seated at the right hand of the Father. He really is coming back. We really are going to dwell in a world there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. We really are going to get new bodies, and I sure need one. Oh, God. I'm done with this. Hebrews 2 says, at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus. How do we see him? By faith. Romans 13, verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. One more. Psalm 30, I love this, verse 5. Weeping, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Ushers are going to come. Band is going to come. Ushers, when you guys are ready, go ahead and begin to serve us. I know probably most of us will not experience some of the suffering that these writers of the New Testament suffered, like John the Apostle, like Matthew, Mark, etc. That doesn't mean we're not suffering. I know, I know quite a few people in this local fellowship, quite a few people right now, and we're suffering. Some of us suffering things, and you're perplexed. I'm perplexed, wondering what in the world is going on. I pray that in these few minutes, the Holy Spirit, as a result of God's word to us this morning, will lift us out of that suffering. Lift us out of our Alcatraz, if you will, our island of Patmos, and that we will be renewed, encouraged by the Spirit of Jesus, because he's here. He's here. And Lord, that's my prayer. That by your Holy Spirit in these few moments, you would do what only heaven can do to encourage your people. Encourage us, Lord. Fill us with fresh hope. Fill us with fresh faith. Fill us with fresh fullness of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.